0: Welcome inside the Legends, Legends Lounge, Lounge,
1: where baseball
0: VIPs are hanging out
2: and talking about their life in the game. Legends Lounge history to conclude the month of July. Not one, but two interviews this week and two big bats. Will Clark and Brian Jordan. Not at the same time. Oh, but we'll get a good 20 minutes right. from each of them. You ready? Ready? I'm totally ready,
1: man. The, both of them had, a, you know, very interesting careers, obviously one, uh, a sweet swinger from the left side and the other one, a dual sport athlete. Are you kidding me?
2: Let's go. Yeah. So let's start with the guy who played multiple professional sports, Brian Jordan, MLB and NFL coming up. He is a former two sport pro star, Pro Bowl NFL strong safety for three seasons with the Falcons. Oh, and then MLB All Star, career 282 batting average, 15 seasons. He slugged, he ran. Obviously, he's a sick athlete. And now he's a TV star with the Atlanta Braves. He is a children's book author and a highly respected and impactful philanthropist. Brian Jordan, that was a mouthful. Welcome to the lounge. (laughs)
3: <laughs> Thanks, guys. I really appreciate that, man.
1: I tell you what, man, uh, again, the two sports star thing, you know, you can't help but jump out. Uh, obviously, the likes of Bo Jackson before you, uh, Deion Sanders, uh, you know, also the Atlanta, you know, Atlanta Fave over there. But I wanted to ask you, you know, born in uh, in Baltimore, B more um, when you were growing up. Did you have a preference? Did you you know, you feel that, you know, one sport? You love more than the other or better than the other. Uh, how was that growing up? Because you were a star in both.
3: Well, you know what? I, I my dad was a great athlete, man. And my, my grandfather, I don't care what I did on the field, my grandfather always said my dad did better. So that was that was my goal in life to outdo my dad. And he played all sports. Uh he played football, basketball, and baseball. And believe it or not, guys, basketball is my favorite sport, although I played two <laughs> professional sports in football Wait. and baseball. I, if I was a little taller, I might've stuck with basketball, but the fact that I wasn't a point guard, uh, I, I decided that was not going to be reality playing in the NBA. So I stuck with baseball and football and, you know, growing up in Baltimore, man, I, you know, honestly, I wanted to go to the university of Maryland so bad, uh, you know, it was my dream school, but the fact that they wouldn't let me play two sports, I decided to go to the University of Richmond. But, uh, yeah, I went there to keep my options open, and uh, you know, I was just blessed and fortunate that it all worked out where I was able to reach my dreams of playing two different sports.
2: I want to go back to what Bo said. It's Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, Brian Jordan, and nobody has done this in the 2000s. I mean, we had the... Slight conversation of Kyler Murray, who was a first-round pick of the Oakland A's, but he went the QB route with the Cardinals and in the NFL. So, when you think about how difficult it is to make it as a pro in one sport, and we go, you know, it's one in a million or whatever it is. This is like three in many trillions, right? That were able to do what you were able to do. So, how, how does that sink in for you? The fact that. It's so rare to make it in general, but to make it in sports must have been a lot of juggling when you started to uh, try and work both. And I know eventually transition to baseball.
3: You know, the funny thing about that, guys, my dad always told me, and this really humbled me as a kid, that I don't care how good you think you are, son, there's somebody out there better than you. So you got to keep working hard. And when I went to Richmond, every spring we would go down south to play baseball. get in some games our first stop was Auburn and me I just played the game I didn't keep up with anybody uh, and what they were doing but that was the first time I got to see Bo Jackson and I remember calling my dad after the game and said dad this guy (laughs) down here it's like he is chiseled and he plays football and baseball you're right I got to keep going I got to get better and we left Auburn and went down to Florida State and here I hear all this noise on the track and some kid is, is winning the 100-yard dash. He jumps the fence, puts on a baseball uniform, and it was Deion Sanders. And I called my dad again. I was like, Dad, there's another guy that plays football <laughs> and baseball. So I got to keep working. And it's just amazing, man. We we all were blessed to have the opportunity to play two professional sports. And, you know, we played in a time where, you know, in, in high school, you played three or four sports if you ran track and all Uh, We were able to do that, but times have changed. I thought Kyler Murray would be the guy that would try to do two sports. But to play quarterback in the NFL and try to play another sport, reality is is not there. And uh, I love Kyler. He's a great athlete. But I think that was probably the last guy that's going to have that opportunity.
2: That's what I was going to ask you is, do you ever think it will happen again. And I say that because there was probably a time period, well, I guess for most of everyone's lives and for a hundred years where people said, there's never going to be a guy in the pros that's going to be a number one starter and a number three, number four hitter. And here we are in Shohei Otani's world in baseball. And I know that's just one sport, but obviously right. it's too, very difficult to pull off. So even though we haven't seen it now in decades, do you ever see a situation like yours coming up again? And maybe it's not a quarterback because there's just so much on a QB's plate, but could you see another, you know, maybe safety pop up in the NFL and then move over to
3: baseball later in his career? Well, I'm never going to say never, uh, for one. Uh, I think we have some tremendous athletes out there that's still playing two sports that are blessed to have that opportunity at a college level. Uh, I've talked to a couple of these guys. One was a wide receiver at Mississippi, and he's playing football and baseball. And I remember he was in in, uh, some camp in San Diego, uh, working out with the Padres. So I, I think, Talent-wise, we have guys out there, but it's just a matter of will they get that opportunity because now you look at Major League Baseball, you look at the NFL, and and they're pretty standoffish on giving guys that opportunity at the professional level.
1: Well, and and the monies have gotten exponentially oh, huge. Yes. So that's the protective part, <laughs> BJ. I mean, you know, uh, when you're giving a guy 100, 200 million, you're like, hey, stay over here, buddy. Don't be playing no football. Don't, be playing no <laughs> football. Don't even be riding a bicycle, please. <laughs> um, Interestingly, and, I, and I, we'll move on, because, you know, what, what you did is, is otherworldly and, and obviously is shown by the fact that only three guys have done it. Nobody else has in, in, in decades uh, and, and for, for a while now. John Elway, I actually played with John Elway, his only year in the minor leagues in Oneonta when I was uh, coming up, when I just had signed with the Yanks and, um, and he played a half season in Oneonta in the New York Penn league. He was my locker mate next to me. We became good friends, still are to this day. And he could have, he could have been a stud. He was a heck of a baseball player, but, but, you know, I think we chose the right sport, but I would say this, you know, for the young kids out there, I want to change it and talk a little bit about your foundation, man, because you've done a lot of great work with the Brian Jordan foundation and, and And talk about reaching your potential, which you did in both sports what what's your push on that and, and and what are you guys striving to do?
3: Well, for me, uh my mom was an educator man, and she taught kids with special needs. And I remember I used to watch my mom pour heart and soul into giving those kids hope and getting them to believe in themselves. And, you know, I always said, if I reached my dreams, I was going to start a foundation and I was going to give these kids hope. And when I started my foundation in 1998, it was about giving kids scholarships to get into college, to continue that education. Those deserving kids that family don't have any money, but they were so resilient that they conquered everything and still maintain a 4.0 to to be able to help those kids. I mean, that's what it's all about. And for me, I always look for how can I do more? How can I do more? And I started writing children's books. And I was that kid with no confidence in reading growing up. And all of a sudden I'm writing children's books. But I I figure that was a blessing from God, really, to share my story to these young kids who don't know they have dyslexia, you know, don't know all the problems they have at home where they're not reading. Uh, so, me, it's about encouraging those kids and getting them to read by third grade because it's such a high percentage of kids, if you don't read at the third grade level they end up in prison. So when I heard those statistics, man, that, you know that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, getting these kids to read, and I started my reading challenge in Georgia with Douglas County and Clayton County, and challenging these kids, motivating these kids, incentivizing for these kids to read. And the programs have been really working well. Uh, kids, we're finding more kids reading. Uh, AR testing scores are going up. So you know that's that's my mission in life, man, to, to continue to give back and and, you know, stay around the game of baseball and just have fun.
2: That's awesome. And the contributions that, that you've made and the foundations made for a long time now are incredible. And you really dug into what you were talking about, because like you said, you actually put books together, which is amazing. It's going to sound basic, BJ, but how do you write a children's book? Like day one, how does this go? You, you speak to someone who knows how to put this together. And then you just start typing up your ideas. Like, how do you actually construct a children's
3: book? You know, that's, that's the crazy thing about it is, uh, I remember in 2004, I woke up at four in the morning with this idea in my head and I started just writing it out. And it was really, uh, a sort of a childhood story of mine, you know, it's called, I told you I could play. And it was about me trying to prove to my brother that I can play with him and his older friends. And, you know, I scored a touchdown against those guys and I held the ball in my my brother's face and said, I told you I could play. And it, it's really to encourage kids, you know, to believe in yourself when you get that opportunity. It may hurt. But, you know, you rise above all the doubters. And, you know, that was my first children's book. So I wrote all this out. I called my mom, who's an educator. And after she done sliced it and diced it full of edits, (laughs) it it turned out to be a pretty good book. I read it to my kids. They liked it. So I really uh, called my best friend who got me uh, with a publishing company out of New Jersey. And I sort of learned the business, how it works. And so I self-published my next four, uh, three books and about to finish my fourth book also. So, you know, I learned the business. Uh, Now I know how to operate my own, own uh, uh, business. And, you know, looking forward to continue to write more books. And I really want to get other athletes involved to tell their story and continue to encourage kids to read. So, I mean, that's my long-term goal, to really be a publishing company for, for athletes, sports stars, and introduce that world to them.
1: Outstanding, man. And speaking of, I know I could play. Tell me your uh, your most memorable scenario, you know, let's say sticking with baseball, You know, you had fine years with the Cardinals, obviously with the Braves. Then you had an injury, you know, that 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 set you back. But then you came back strong in '98. Uh, What was the most memorable scenario for you during your tenure?
3: Well, you know, I think for everybody, you want to make the World Series, you want to win the championship. So, 1999, I had that opportunity with the Braves. Uh, We made it to the World Series, and we played against the Yankees. I don't want to talk about the results of that World Series, but you know, (laughs) it was just. I was elated to to get to that top level, uh, which we all fight for. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't win that world championship, but to get there, you know, to feel the anxiety and, and, and feel how it feels to be in that World Series. Uh, I'll never forget it. And uh, I guess that was probably my best moment in, in baseball to be a part of the World Series.
2: And you crushed it. Yeah, he did. You crushed it. You didn't lose because of you. No. Pacek, 471, yeah. drove in seven of 18 runs for ATL. I mean, he was I'm looking- risky. Yeah, he was risky. You know, in fact, and I don't know if the record's still true there, but in 1996 with St. Louis, 422 batting average with runners in the scoring position on the season. So that kind of all leads me to one big question because there are many. In my world nowadays, that say it's not a thing; it's just a law of averages. Eventually, but I strongly disagree with that. Do you believe in clutch? And what are traits and components that can lead to someone like you being so clutch and not, you know, getting tight in those big moments?
3: Well, I'm I'm gonna be honest. Uh, Joe Torre was my manager in St. Louis early in my career, and you know, I had that football mentality playing. So. I was always tense, aggressive. And he sent me to a psychiatrist who taught me how to breathe, taught me how to relax. And now all of a sudden I, I really embrace those moments, man. I, I tell everybody, they don't know how hard it is to hit behind Mark McGuire, who's who's going for the home run record. You have to perform. You have to step up every night for him to get pitched to. And then I leave there and go hit behind Chipper Jones. I mean, those are tense moments in my career where, you know, I had to find a way to relax and perform uh, for those great players in front of me. So I embraced it. I loved it. I loved uh, to be in that sort of competitive uh, nature. I've been competitive all my life. I don't care if it's kickball, playing cards, you know, I just want to win in those situations. So uh, I, I never shy away from them.
2: And you're winning now to after the game in some of the things we spoke about. I mean, the TV career thriving, the foundation, the book writing, you've got a lot on your plate and this, we like to do this on, on this pod is really go over what life is like after a professional career. And obviously we're locked in on baseball, but you know, there are many athletes that are constantly seeking advice from former players, former big leaguers on, you know, what's next, what do I do? I mean, if it's a player that made a ton of money and wants to chill and just have family time, go for it. But there are many that have significant goals or trying to find themselves. So have you gotten reach outs about that? And if so, what's the key advice that you dish out to people as they're transitioning out of pro sports?
3: Well, for one, I say when you're still playing pro sports, you know, you got to think long-term, you got to figure out, you know, what do I love to do? What's my passion? Uh, You know, what, who do I want to give back to? And that, to me, that's the most important thing to be blessed to make a lot of money in your career. You know, you got to have a a mission that you want to accomplish, whether it's giving back uh, starting your own thing. Uh, But for me, we are role models, athletes, kids look up to us, regardless of what we think or say, they look up to us. So it's important to live up to that. And I had to figure out, you know, what am I passionate about? You know, starting my foundation, giving back to kids. Uh, I want to do more. And all of a sudden, you know, you're writing children's books because we see so many kids failing and falling behind. Uh, that's what I was passionate about. So that, that kept me driving, but yet I had to find a way to keep my faith out there. And I never thought I would get into broadcasting, but I was blessed and had that opportunity in Atlanta because of my personality and all, and it's worked out great. You know, it keeps me around the game. Um, uh, we'll be doing a lot uh, more booth games this year outside of pre and post game shows. So, you know, I continue to live, I'm a life learner, so I continue to learn and, and try to get better. And again, it goes back to being so competitive, man. I want to be the best at what I do. And, uh, you know i've been fortunate enough to stay focused on it
2: And oh, he's full of stories so
3: that Man, well leads us a, a, a,
1: he's full of stories and amen <laughs> to all of that yeah. and, and, and brian jordan you know here on our show uh we always uh kind of end uh with a with a question by the way by the way i bring it out is no way jose and that's kind of like something outlandish that may have happened on and off the field. Uh, and again, with you being a two-sport star, you're you're an oddity for us. So usually it's strictly baseball. But whatever you came across in your sports world, that you would say, no way, Jose,
2: what could that be? Interesting, outlandish, uh, keep it clean. And I'm going to double down on this one, though, because think about it. Okay? So for Brian, he played in the NFL and MLB. Correct. He also played uh, in St. Louis, like you mentioned. McGuire. with McGuire. ATL with Chipper and that whole crew of Maddox starters. A, so, a, a, just a jokester yeah. Maddox and hey you're you're out of the game you're separated it's been enough years so I'm, I'm gonna actually challenge you Brian to to drop two stories for us whether it's two baseballs or a
1: baseball no or way
3: Jose goes okay here we go no way Jose Greg Maddox on the mound uh I always meet up with Maddox before the ball game. And I say, hey, where do you want me to play certain guys? Here it is. Maddox is in the training room getting treatment. And I don't know what they were doing, but I didn't think he was on a pitch that day. And he looked up at me and said, hey, you're going to throw out your first runner at first base from right field today. And I looked at him like he was crazy. And next thing you know, he said, the the count's going to be one and two. And I want you to move up. Joe Creedy's going to be at the plate. I want you to move way in. And he's going to hit a bullet between first and second. And you're going to throw him out. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, dude. So here it is. The game's going on. Joe Creedy's out. I look at the big board. The count is one and two. And I'm like, no way this is about to happen. He steps off the mound, looks out at me. I move way in. And he hits a bullet between first and second. I come up and throw him out at first. And he just tips his cat. <laughs> he is the best. I was like, no way, Jose. Are you and kidding me? It was, it was incredible, man. I tell that to everybody, man. I, that's how good Greg Maddux is. Everybody no, always asked me, he's an alien, they always bro. ask he, me. Uh, he
1: was, now I know he's an alien. I, yeah, I
3: exactly, man. Cause everybody always asked me, who was the, my favorite pitcher to play behind, you know, Maddox, Clavin, Smokes. And I said Maddox by far, man. Cause that, that kid, he would, he would put us in the right position to make great plays, man. That's how good he was. And my next one is has to be when Bo Jackson ran up the wall. You know, I admired Bo Jackson as a two-sport athlete, as probably one of the greatest uh, specimens body-wise ever. And to run up that wall after making a catch, that was like a no way, Jose also in my life so there you go you got two real
1: real quick who's the best quarterback that you you
3: you faced when you were playing
1: strong safe
3: i gotta say joe montana joe montana i mean i could cover a guy like i'm hanging on his back but timing wise he could still put that ball in there man it was it was incredible how he did it but uh joe had to be one of my favorites he hit a
1: ball, man. He he is a two-sport. He yeah. got a two, a
2: double, triple, no way, Jose. That's one, Brian. Jordan. <laughs> I got one more finisher before I let you guys. Awesome. So is there any kind of conversations that have gone on in the past or in the present, you know, going back to the football-baseball connection with Dion and or Bo? I mean, you basically should have your little secret fraternity where you guys can share information. But have there ever been conversations there between you three or at least, you know, one-on-one with those guys?
3: No, I mean I have had one-on-one conversations, you know, with, with Dion and Bo. Because a matter of fact, I had lunch with Dion when he st- when he became a coach with Jackson State. Uh, I went down to see him, but Bo was another guy that, you know, I enjoyed talking to. Uh, he was ready to give up football. He promised his mom he was going to give up football at his third season, and then we know the horrific injury at the end of his third season. Uh, but both of those guys are tremendous, man. I tell everybody, I'm the Rodney Dangerfield two-sport athletes. I get no respect, man. All they talk about is Bo and Dion. I get no respect. But, uh, you know, watching those guys and being a teammate of Dion Sanders for three years at the Falcons, man, I, I'll never, I'll never want to change those days, man, because I learned so much from those guys. And, uh, you know, it, they pushed me to continue to be the best that I could be
2: you got all of our respect. And that was awesome. Did some. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate you. Talking <laughs> to
3: the lab. All right, guys. Take care, man.
2: Big props to Brian Jordan, two sports star crushing it on television. Amazing story. We'll get into that too, that we heard at the tail end there, but We do have to throw it over to our next conversation. The great Will Clark power bat and making moves in the wine industry too. We'll cover all of the bases with Will now. Hanging out in the lounge with us is a San Francisco Giants Hall of Famer, and he's currently a special assistant with the Giants. He's a six-time All-Star, Silver Slugger, Gold Glover, 1989 NLCS MVP. There's another reason to pop bottles, too. In addition to that, his nickname holds special meaning today, The Thrill is a brand new red (laughs) wine. I'm sure it's as clutch as the man who created it. The great Will Clark in the lounge. Cheers, Will. Hello, Scott and
0: gentlemen. How are y'all today?
2: Good, all right. It's so great to have you. And seriously, cheers. I want to start there. And then we have a lot to dive into. But you are now the creator of an authentic, one of its kind, special blend of wine. Give us the lowdown, and of course, the name is perfect.
0: Well, uh, we're doing uh, a wine. Uh, it came up by Mike Grohl with the Players Association. Mike wanted to do a project. Uh, you know, being a San Francisco Giant, he wanted to do something in the Napa region, and uh, you know we we got the wine kind of squared away. He, he teamed up with a winery here, which is where we're at right now. And we did a bunch of signed bottles of wine. Uh It's a limited edition and uh, a lot of the proceeds benefit the Players association, uh, you know, to, to help out the alumni of uh, major league baseball. Some of us are not as fortunate as others, and uh, this is going to help out quite a bit.
1: I'll tell you what, that, that is uh, outstanding, especially the fact that you're, Doing it, uh, Will, benefiting uh, the, a part of it, the Alumni Association. Um, it's interesting, you know, a good good kid from uh, Louisiana, you know, makes good all the way out in San Francisco. San Francisco has just been a, a blessing for you. Obviously, a, a second home, if you will. And uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, the love affair that has been for San Francisco and and by San Francisco back to Will Clark.
0: You know, uh I was able to to be a player out here. Uh, Myself, Robbie Thompson, Matt Williams, Kurt Manwaring. we were a new generation that had come up through the system and kind of got the whole organization turned around. I got a chance to go to quite a few playoffs and uh, also into the World Series in 89. And so, you know, the Bay Area really receives that, um, I guess you want to say, organization from that decade, you know, the '80s, early '90s, really well. And so, for me personally, to be able to give back not only to the Bay Area but also the, the Players Association, because um, you know, I benefited just like you did too. Oh, was was from the guys that came before us and how we learned the game from the guys that came before us. And some of us are not as fortunate as others. And so, this gives us a little bit back.
2: So take me through some of your mental skills during your playing days and how you say went through tough times. Was there something you did to help get yourself out of a slump? Vice versa. If you were feeling it, if you were hot, if you were willing to thrill, what did you do to try and keep yourself on track? And as a special assistant and as a hitting instructor, how can you instill that on these young players today who... Let's be real. Well, they're they're different cats these days, right? Yeah. Millennials, Gen Z, they just like different things. Their brains operate differently based on the way the world works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're they're definitely different cats. And uh, uh-huh. you, you got to adjust with that. But uh, the, the one thing that you want to do is you want to instill that work ethic into them. You don't want them to get in the batter's cage, you know, and, and take 10 swings, 15 swings and say, Thanks coach. You know, one of those numbers, it's like, Hey, no, you got to work at your craft, you know? And, you know, for uh, the first question, which is, you know, what would happen if you're scuffling? Well, if you're scuffling, I'm going to put the work in. I'm going to put the time in to know that I am doing everything possible to come out of this slump. If I am the other way, if I am locked in, I am trying to do the work. I'm trying to do the preparation to stay in that zone. And so, the bottom line is, I got to do the work. And uh, you know, when you come to the ballpark every day, there's not a there's not a day off. You know, I mean, you have to prepare because you never know. If you're going to be up in the bottom of the ninth with the game on the line or it's going to be the first inning with the game on the line. So you got to treat every at bat like that. If you're a pitcher, you have to toe the to rubber and say, hey, look, I'm going to dominate from the first pitch all the way to the last pitch. But it all starts with the preparation and the work involved to get to be a big leaguer.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and a lot of times it starts
1: when you were an amateur. Right. I mean, it starts with the mentality there, the preparation there. Take us back to a, a few years before that and, and growing up and how it developed for you and and uh, the, the key points maybe your coaches or parents that that, that influenced you.
0: That, that's a that's a great one, Arestus. I was I was a, a guy in high school that kind of stood on top of the plate, like a lot of kids are, and I bailed and wailed. Uh, you know, I pull the ball like crazy, but I would also, you know, just not hit balls really good uh, because my mechanics were terrible. I was I was able to go to a guy by the name of Barry Butera. He uh, was a triple-A AAA uh, batting champion with the Red Sox, with Pawtucket. He backed me off the plate and closed up my stance a little bit. And by doing that, I was able to cover the whole plate and I was able sure. to drive the ball to left field just as well as I could pull the ball to right field. And so it took a hole that was really big and it shrunk the hole down. So you fast forward when you get into pro ball and now I am working every day to take those holes that have been shrunk down and to get them even smaller. So now (laughs) it's harder for the pitcher to get into a zone where I cannot hit the ball. And so that's what you try to pass on to the generation today, which is I need to take stuff that I am not good at, and work on it and a lot of times these kids as you well know because you guys see them they put the t in the same spot all the time and they just work on what they can hit and no that's not how the pitcher is going to pitch you the pitcher wants to go to the zone you can't hit so that's right. what you need to work on
1: hey let me real quick jump on that and follow up as far as the amateur world um scotty b and what well, your thoughts on on travel baseball um very mixed man because I feel that there's so much emphasis put on every game being like a, a win or death because uh, you're playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You got to win on Friday, Sunday, to go to the best. When I when we grew up, it was just wreck ball or whatever we played, and not every game was that crazy important until you got to the playoffs and you went on some all star team. Right. But you know, travel ball. Your thoughts?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I mean. I, I personally, you know, were, were, was a playground kid. And then, you know, in high school, playing high school and then in, in the summer playing Legion. Uh, I didn't, We didn't do any of these travel things. And the one thing that I'm seeing right now, especially with a lot of these travel teams is, you know, they, they just let the kids go out and play and there's no instruction. So when they do things wrong, they don't correct it. So now you get into college and You got kids that really have not been taught the game. They don't know where to go on a double cutoff. They don't know how to back up this base, whatever it might be. And uh, the game has suffered. And because of that reason, you know, when they get into the minor leagues, you know, instructors like myself, when when we see it, I mean, we got to immediately address the issue. Otherwise, I mean, it's going to drag on, drag on.
2: This is juicy. Okay. This opens up so many, so many thoughts yes. and ideas here. First off, and and know oh, you can chime in, you know, off of Will as well, but I want to know, I mean, especially with Will working with young players these days, do they work harder, less hard than, <laughs> than you guys were playing? And yeah. is there also that line of burnout that is talked about more and maybe that creates a stigma of, I don't want to overdo it. So I'm going to kind of shy away. You know what I'm saying? There is, I guess, a lot of talk about, you know, not doing too much, right? Don't, you don't want to pull an oblique or something like that. Cause you're taking too many swings in the cage. We didn't have obliques. We didn't have obliques when Will and I
1: played. We did not have <laughs>
2: obliques.
0: That wasn't, Agreed. did
2: that injury? How often do you hear about an oblique
0: injury nowadays? It's, oh, it's every week, God. right? It's it's, it's Scotty B. It's it's unbelievable, man. I mean, you know. So I I don't I don't know what Orestes' you know program was, but I mean, I was I was probably a minimum two hundred swings a day, and you know, I mean, you're talking about when you start swinging that many times, you, you know, you build up your muscles. I mean, you get really strong. You get to to hit the ball on the screws all the time. You get to know what you're doing how your hands work, how your feet work, how your head works, how whatever it is, you know, I work with some of these guys now and they'll get in the cage and they'll take 20 swings and they're like, I got it, coach. And you're like, 20 yeah. swings? I, I haven't even worked up a sweat yet at 20 swings. <laughs> and, um, you know, it also plays into the field. You know, they'll take 10 ground balls and they're like, I got it, coach. And it's like, no, you need to, you need to work on this stuff. And so I think personally, um, a lot of these – stupid injuries are from, believe it or not, lack of work, not plenty of work. Um, Mm, We also, you know, yeah, we would get in the weight room and stuff like that. We would get in the weight room, but we would do our job. And so you stayed loosey goosey. You weren't tight and all bound up. And I'm seeing a lot of these kids now. That's a lot where these injuries are coming from. They're not baseball type of injuries as much as they are weight room type of injuries.
1: No, no doubt about it buddy and, and again you know uh that, that I, I my main success was in Japan so six years over there then they did not lack for for practice and lack for working on fundamentals properly by the way when you say 200 swings it's not 200 crazy swings it's 200 you know quantified uh dedicated swings I've worked with a lot of kids uh, you know now and they'll do 200 swings but it's a hundred good ones and the hundred are just lazy bad ones now what have you left with? the last few swings, so that's the bad habit. But you hit on something that I want to just, you put it on a T tee for me. I'm sorry, but it's right there. I got a swing. And that is your first home run was against a great Nolan Ryan. And he also, another one that for pitchers, they're throwing too little. I mean, 100 pitches, my goodness, even at Texas, he wanted to change the system around. Uh, your thoughts on Ryan and 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 the pitching nowadays, you're seeing a lot of 100-mile-an-hour but uh, but it's a little different, though, isn't it?
0: I, I, I totally agree with you. You know, I mean, I've had a chance to, uh, you know, work with a lot of our minor league system and then also, you know, see, see the guys on a major league level. You know, there, there are certain days where, where you, you know you got it. And, you know, if you're on the mound and you're just dealing and, and, and you're making quick work of everybody. I mean, we had this the other day. I, I was just seeing a, one of our minor league teams the starting pitcher was dealing, I mean, dealing. And he was on a pitch count Um, and it, <laughs> it was a Done. limited number of pitches. And I mean, they took him out of the game in the sixth inning when the kid didn't really have that many pitches. I'm like, let him pitch. He's just, I mean, he's making these guys look, look terrible. How is he going to figure out how to go late in the game? If oh he just knows he has to hit a pitch count and then they pull him out the game. That's ridiculous. I don't like it. I'm in the same boat as what you said, whether it be Nolan or or you or I, you know, working to get further along in the game. You just don't say, hey, i got a certain amount of time and then I get taken out the game. That's not how this baseball game works.
1: How was it facing Nolan, by the way?
0: It was it was all you wanted. You had plenty of time. Yeah, you, you just had that one home run, you hit him yeah. in that first. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know had what? I was, quite I was a few. fortunate enough to hit a few off of Nolan, but you know what? When you stepped into batters box, and and whether it be Nolan Ryan, great, you know, but it's any major leaguer. When you step into batters box, that guy has who's on the mound, he knows what he's doing. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in the major league. So you have your work cut out for you and you have to be at the top of your game. So that's why, you know, I, I told you and, you know, I told Scott, you know, put the work in. You know, I put the work in before I stepped into batter's box. I was extremely prepared when I stepped into batter's box. I knew what I was doing and what pitch I was looking for. And we went from there.
2: Now, were you prepared to the point of knowing how Nolan Ryan operates and that he wouldn't be too pleased with someone's first big league at bat (laughs) resulting in a home run? That would be insulting for him. And he knows where the baseball is going. So did he ever hit you or at least intimidate you after that.
0: <laughs> so yes, I did get hit by Nolan. But shocker <laughs> <Hello>. after, <laughs> after I uh, after I, I had the first at bat in my, my big league debut, you know, I hit a homer off of him, you know, after you high-five everybody, we're sitting on the bench. And I don't know why, but just like a calm came over me and I was just sitting there and I turned and Chili Davis was on my oh. left hand side. He was he was one of my veterans. You know, he was a guy that was one of my mentors. And I go, Chili. He's gonna drill me next time up. He goes, Oh <laughs> hell yeah! And so Nolan was in his windup, and I'm like, I was, I was old. I'm I'm out of here, dude. Check you later.
1: <laughs> hey, and this, and this uh, we always have a segment where towards the end that that we ask uh, kind of a little zany question, and it's uh, it's called, Oh no way, Jose! So this is a moment that you remember on and off the field, kooky, crazy will that uh, a, a person or yourself that might have happened and uh, you can't ever forget it. Oh my god. Come uh, on. Well, something that something might happen somewhere.
0: Oh on Lord. a bus. All right. No. all just- right So 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 the best ever the, the best ever for me. I mean, you know, we got thousands of stories as you well know. But uh I was on the field in St. Louis when Kevin Mitchell made the over-the-shoulder bare hand catch. One hand bare hand. And you know, I'm standing on the field, I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, no way, Jose. You know, just kind of what you do. Right. And so we get in the dugout, right? And I'm sitting there and he's sitting next to me. And I'm looking at him. I'm going, Boogie Bear, because you we know, always his nickname Boogie yeah. Bear. I go, what were you thinking? And he goes, well, you know, I, I was running, and I looked down to find the fence, and I looked up, and I overran it, and I just stuck it. Yeah, I said, but you didn't think about sticking your glove up? And he goes, no, no. And I go, you do know that you will be on ESPN for the rest of your life. I said, this will be showed forever. And we were laughing and giggling and just cutting up. until this day, you see oh Kevin God. Mitchell with the bare hand paw just snagging the line drive.
1: Unbelievable! That was a good one. That's point. amazing.
0: Did he
2: realize it at the time when you were telling him?
1: No, no. He didn't realize was going it to at get all. He,
0: he just thought, oh, I made the catch, you know? And I'm like, boogie bear, Nobody <laughs> catches a fly ball bare hand on a dead run up against the fence on national TV. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: This raw, raw greatness
2: got, he was. That uh, Clark guy, he, he had a point back then. All right, I got, yeah. I got one more bonus because I know... Uh, bo- the, 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 the
1: bonus, bonus round oh, well, name because,
2: is B. B. It, bonus brawn right here, okay? Just because, you know, oh God, his thing. But I, I do want just like even a little tidbit from going deep off of Greg Maddox too Ooh. because we got the Nolan Ryan side yeah. and I just, I don't want to spend, you know, 20 minutes with Will Clark and not find out more about the Greg Maddox story and how maybe everyone can read some lips or something like that.
0: That's a good one, Scotty. I appreciate it. But <laughs> this is, this is a little bit of a common sense one besides being sure. observant. So my first at bat, uh, this is the 89 playoffs against Maddox. He throws me a fastball away. i whack one in the left. Right. So then the next at bat, he goes away every, every pitch of the at bat and I wound up hitting a homer off of him. So, in my third at-bat, I'm like, sure enough, he has to pitch me in sooner or later. We also have two left-handers in the lineup, and he's pounding them in. So I have to see one sooner or later in. So Kevin Mitchell and I, again, oh, Boogie Bear and yeah. I standing in the front circle. And I'm looking, and Don Zimmer had come out to the mound, and so Greg Maddox is standing on the mound. Zimmer's much shorter than he is. And I'm looking right at Maddox, and he goes, fastball in. And I was like, oh. And so I turned to Boogie Bear and I go, "Hey Boogie," I said. "You see what he said?" And he says, "What did he say?" And I said, "He he said fastball in." He says, "What you got to do?" I said, "I'm gonna look fastball
2: in." <laughs> he didn't have his <laughs> glove on his mouth. Yeah, yeah. No, no, neither he
1: he one didn't of the glove, Bo- nothing like. Listen, that. Boogie fastball Bear. In. Yeah. Neither I, Boogie Bear or Maddox used their glove. I guess so. Yeah, that no, was a problem. Nobody,
0: <laughs> nobody. So so anyway, so I go up to home plate, and I mean, I'm just I'm just sitting dead red in, and it happened to be the first pitch, and it was like. Thank God. Grand slam. It. Say yeah, it. Thank God I didn't miss it. So it was a grand slam. Uh, you know, I don't tell anybody, right? So Boogie Bear tells everybody else on the team, <laughs> right? And then they wind up telling the press. And then all of a sudden next year in spring training, everybody and their grandma are like, rrr, rrr, rrr. Yep. you know, they all got the glove over the face. And I'm like, ah, hell, I shouldn't have told it. Anybody. I could have
2: gotten a couple more jacks off yeah. of that. <laughs> Wait, was that not a thing? Was that not a thing until that point? No not a regular occurrence? Of course no. not. That's no. wild. I think I think that there's a lot of youngsters out there that don't realize that that yeah. this is part That's of where the it came origin. From.
0: Yeah. it did not globe. start. It did not start till 1990 in spring training. After that article came out that winter,
1: and a lot of people uh, that don't know the story don't realize. That they think that it's because of the TV angles. That, that that somehow inside the, the, the teams are reading it and telling the play. No, it was it was the thrill yeah. and Boogie Bear, uh that that part I didn't know. I didn't know that Boogie Bear was the one that 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 yeah, uh, so Boogie Bear is the one
0: that told everybody on the team and <laughs> one of them idiots told the press, I didn't say a word.
2: Of course <laughs> Just- not. Good old fashioned common that's a sense. That's great story. That I is a good. It.
1: Scotty B, the bonus was on point right there.
2: Perfect. I had to.
0: I had to learn more. I knew a yeah. little sliver, but I had to get it straight from there the source. So that, that, so, that <laughs> so that right there, Scotty B, was the whole story. That, that's yeah. that's how the common sense kind of played into the observation. And
1: you got to you know, jump on that.
0: Whammo! Thank God we didn't miss that pitch. <laughs> well, I you didn't, didn't know what the second
2: expectations. one was. That was good. Will yep. the thrill? Thank you so much, and we cannot wait to try the wine as well.
0: Guys, look forward to it. Scotty B. Oh, thank you, man. Appreciate it.
2: That Will Clark. Oh, he's a businessman. We better get some wine in the mail. <laughs> I, well number one yes i mean that has to be you know to come with
1: this uh, interview and uh it was just fascinating though because w- one thing i think of will and i think he's running his uh, wine empire the same way he was a very systematic hitter very smart and, and very calculated uh with his swing so i'm expecting his wine business to be exactly the same and in the end be an all-star
2: type of caliber of, <laughs> of entity <laughs> agreed oh, and then hey can we circle back because i didn't have you for a sec earlier right. to brian jordan's ridiculous to no way Jose story that you were loving well the, the whole brian jordan i
1: mean being a two-way star i mean anytime you think about that is phenomenal but that no way jose and having been a former player i've never heard of anything like that and i've heard some maddox magic on the field and things that he does. I mean, he did it to me. I mean, he tricked me many a time, right, into just grounding right back at him. But this, to to be able to say, 2-0 pitch, first hitter, move in, you're going to hit it to you, you're going to throw him out, uh, was classic. The closest I've ever come to is maybe a pitcher will say, okay, it's coming to you because I'm going to throw a slider in for this big pull lefty, and I was playing first base most of my career. But that's about it. This was uh, definitely
2: Uh, A lounge special, (laughs) some psychic stuff. Let's do some This Week in Baseball. Pick one, July 31st, 1954. Dodger killer Joe Adcock. Four homers, double, 18 total bases in a Braves 15-7 victory at Ebbets Field. And he was using a borrowed bat. That's the part that stood out to me when I was digging through the archives. 18 total bases, major league record. And I think that's the one that Sean Green matched, which we talked about many weeks ago at right. this point but have you ever used a bar about oh in the yeah. Big leagues? yeah yeah but
1: here's the thing joe adcock was you know like a superstar hitter in his day so i don't think he was borrowing a bat probably i'm guesstimating back then there's not as many bats as you know we were <laughs> you know and we are now and definitely even in my era of the 80s and 90s we're so blessed to have bats coming out our ears um my his was just oh i didn't have enough bats i'm gonna use joe smith's bat over here mine was i was actually struggling benito santiago said hey go up with this you know with this you know bat that he was that he had. all right buddy i go out and go three for five hit two jacks and drive in six so uh yeah i was really happy because i needed a change and that change was on point magic baby
2: Okay. Just a quickie. Where are they now? Jay Pettibone pitched for the 83 twins. His son actually pitched in the bigs for the Phillies at one point, not too long ago, but apparently, Uh and I can't even find much on this, but I feel like I can't find much on this for a reason. And our crack research staff does a better job than I do of just your basic Google search FBI agent. After oh no, the, then you're not going to find anymore. That's so. what I figured. So, I'm, I mean, in fact, I, I questioned even saying that because I don't know. Here's if I'm the deal. His
1: cover. Here, here's the deal. You keep uh, digging a little bit, and and I'm <laughs> I'm going to be I'm not going to be seeing you for a while, and that's <laughs> and that's a problem. I lo- I like you very much, so uh, let's just say major <laughs> leaguer and an FBI agent. Leave it at that. Exactly. I mean, I, I don't want to lose you, buddy. So, uh, in fact, he's invited to the lounge anytime. We just don't bring him into the front. We bring him into the back quietly and the way you should do
2: it. And technically, he doesn't need to come to the lounge if he doesn't want to. Like, we don't need to <laughs> you don't blow need his it. cover or reveal anything. Because what, last week, we were going, hey, if, if someone can find us... Phrasey, Phrasal Ben, the fishing guy. <laughs> I'm all in to go over the combo and the name and this the nickname guy and the whole them. deal because there's not a lot listed there online either. So. People probably at this point are like, are these guys just yanking our chain? Or are they for real? No, Make for it real. up, players. <laughs> yeah. You can say you'll hear right after this, the email address. If you want to send us an email and call us out, we'll send it right to the head of the MLB PAA and we can go back and forth. But anyway, lounge is closing. Okay. Everyone wants to get out of here. We appreciate the time. It was fun to have not one, but two Will Clark and Brian Jordan. And we'll see you in August. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends.